Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their respect on the games that we love, headlines of pop culture, and the meaning by their all. I'm Bruce Wendt the Burns, and my, oh, my counterpart said, I'm Morris. And Somber said, I'm Morris. How's it going, man? I'm upset. I'm upset. <laughs> I am upset. Disrespect. Hey, I'm upset, man. Well, we have a lot of topics to, uh, to get into t- today, as usual. Um, obviously, some some NFL headlines, uh, some some early thoughts on March Madness, um, and also some album reviews. And, and there's going to be a brief segment where Savon is not going to be interested. It's going to be some euphoria, euphoria talk with me and Maurice, but we're, we're going to try to get through it. And also at the euphoria. end, we're going to do Bill Street uh, to talk. But to start off with, even even before the Brady talk, there's been recent breaking news with Devontae Adams being traded to the Las Vegas Raiders, oh, and for two. Uh, 22 uh, draft picks, including the Raiders' first-round pick, league sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter. Um, and this is also something that the Raiders and, and Adam will, will be able to work out kind of a, a long-term agreement to keep him in Las Vegas. Um, but to you, Savon, in terms of just j- just this like instant breaking news and kind of the puzzling nature of it for Green Bay and how the Raiders are able to get a huge asset, what are some of your initial thoughts on it? I'm going to play devil's advocate because I'm really upset right now. But I'm going to play devil's advocate. I understand that this is a business and that that was the best business deal they could, that you get a first-round draft pick. We don't have one. We haven't had one in a long time. You get an opportunity to get one. I don't know what they're going to go after for, go after, but I I understand as a business standpoint, but when it comes to winning football games, who's been consistent the past four or five years, who's been healthy, you get rid of one of your best wide receivers. We don't have a top guy outside of Devontae Adams. We don't have it. You, you, it's not Randall Cobb. It's not Alan Lazard. It's 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 not Tanyan, our tight end who's coming back from ACL. It's not Aaron Jones. It's Devontae Adams. That's a bulk of our offense, a bulk. So I don't understand where they're going to go with these two draft picks or high draft, this first-round draft pick. I hope they don't go for a DB. That never works for it. The last one, we got Eric Stokes. He, he hasn't panned out to this potential just yet after his rookie season. But as a business standpoint, I understand it. But as a fan... And what we're doing in Green Bay, I don't understand it. Okay, that's not what we do to get over the hump. But hats off to the Raiders, man. Hats off to the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah. They're pushing. They got big a bunch of them. guys. Yeah, big, big win. Big Another weapon for um, Carr. Yeah, another weapon for him. I think he will love him because they got another one of our guys, Jordy Nelson, uh, you know, before he retired. Yeah, he right. went over there. So we're we're not we're not uh, you know strangers to giving up our best players <laughs> to the Raiders. Um, hopefully, Vontae likes you know Vegas. Who doesn't want, you know who wouldn't like Vegas? But but now looking at in terms of green of of things on the Green Bay side and also Rogers signing a, a three year one hundred fifty million deal ap- after his announcement of his return and it including two voidable years in twenty twenty five and twenty twenty six that you know help for salary cap purposes like. What are your thoughts on him coming back another year and also what that means for the future of Jordan Love? Because that's another <clears throat> year where he's behind Rodgers and now right. Green Bay is in a position where they, you know, lose their best receiver. We've seen this before. We've uh, When uh, Brett Favre was, you know, our quarterback and we drafted Aaron Rodgers, I think it was back in 2003, everybody was befuddled. Like, why are you drafting a quarterback where Brett Favre has so many years left under his belt, um, on his tenure at Green Bay? But I yeah. think it's the the beauty of sit, sitting behind a quarterback like Brett Favre, like Aaron Rodgers, so you can learn 
when Jordan Love got his opportunity, he was still kind of rusty trying to get himself uh, acclimated to the NFL. I think he needs a few more years to sit behind Aaron Rodgers and learn as much as he can, learn the offense, learn the ins and outs, how to build rapport with your wide receivers. I think it's a lot of things that he can learn from sitting behind a top quarterback like that. And just thinking, I, I mean, I think it was the perfect opportunity for Aaron Rodgers to show his worth. I don't think he fits anywhere else. I think Aaron Rodgers is a great yeah. quarterback, but it's the perfect, it's the spot perfect scheme, perfect, perfect spot. I think yeah. um, he has good rapport with our head coach. I, I I think he's in a perfect position to stay in Green Bay. He, I think mm. we can win another one. I do. I'm still, <laughs> even with Devontae Adams. <laughs> but you, 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 know, you know what's crazy about the NFL? Devontae possibly could come back because... He was franchised. Yeah, that's a possibility. Yeah, he was franchised. And I hope that's the end game. They called him like, look, we franchise tag you. They have to come up with a deal. You can say, I don't want to sign a deal. And we bring you back for the max contract later. So now we're, we're looking at the bigger picture. I don't know if that's a thing. I thought I think that would be dope. Vontae was like, okay, I'll play a season over here, but I won't sign a big contract. I'll come over, come back, and then we could get things cracking. But I don't know. That's just theories at this point. Mm -hmm. But I do think, I don't think Aaron Rodgers fits anywhere else. I don't think he can go anywhere else and be, and, and have what he needs as a quarterback, a good running game, a good, a good offensive lineman, decent offensive lineman to keep him, keep him clean, a nice wide receiver core, a, a pretty good defense to back him up. I mean, the first game, after the first game, you think, oh, crazy. But after that, we were we were solid. So I don't think any other team could offer those things for him, for him to be able to be okay at his age and be able to still flourish in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and I mean, another massive headline that happened uh, this past Sunday afternoon was the um, the announcement from Tom Brady about him coming back for his 23rd season mm -hmm. in Tampa Bay. And, you know, he announced on Twitter and Instagram, quote, these past few months, I realized my place is still on the field <laughs> and not in the stands. That right. time will come, but it's not now. Um, and I mean, it, it, one of the shortest retirements like <laughs> you've ever seen, and only like just 40 days. And then, then he's just like, you know what? I want to run it back. And obviously like they, they come up short against the Rams in yeah. the divisional round. And he obviously was playing at such a high level, leading the league in um, uh, yards, passing touchdowns, completions, and attempts still playing at an extremely high level. Like to you in terms of uh, just him coming back, because you were, you were of, 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 of kind of the opinion that he would, he, he would retire and kind of wanted to, to put that final yeah. chapter in place. But in terms of him just, you know, after 40 days coming back, like what are kind of your initial thoughts on that? And just, 40 you know, days. just 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making 40 it sound so dramatic. No, it's definitely dramatic. He should have just never like, you know what I mean? Should have just stayed in there if you knew, knew you were going to come back. Or Yeah. Well, I don't think he knew he was going to come back. I think, once you you feel like you, I'm pretty sure he watched film. He talked to some other like guys around the league, like Edelman, like Gronk, like guys who oh, played sure. with him for a, a X amount of years. You look at them like, yo, I still can do this. He probably had long steamless talks with his wife, his kids. I'm pretty sure his kids were a lady. He's going to be back on the field. And I think when you look at his wife, you're like, well, we're going to still have you. You know, you, we're still going to be here. We're still going to support you. And I think. He still had unfinished business. He's still one of the great. Well, he is the greatest quarterback, the goat, greatest quarterback. He still has that. I don't know what else he was. He's searching for. 
as a quarterback. You won another Super Bowl. I mean, what else can you do besides win another Super Bowl? You got X amount of MVPs. You already got like six Super Bowls, five, six Super Bowls. You already, you know, you you won with a new team. You what what else is it in the my, NFL my, my for thing you? Thing is, my thing is, I I really feel as though it's one of those things he wants to see. Like, when is he actually going to decline? Because he's he keeps saying, like he's, he wants he probably wants to see like hey when when am I actually going to start to decline because I'm 44 and still playing like this like that is that is really that that's really groundbreaking in terms of him being playing at that age because he's always he's always talked about longevity and playing at at such, at such a high level deep into his 40s I feel and, and I'm not saying like that's the only reason but I feel right. so that that may be a part of of the piece for why he made the, made his return I think that's an excellent point well and to and to piggyback off what what that is like. He doesn't get hit often. So he's not he's not injured. He's not having playing injuries. He gets the ball out faster than any other quarterback in the league at 40. Its offensive yeah. line is really, 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 really good. They don't just the ball out so they quick. ball out so quick. Worfs, I think Worfs is still one of the best uh left-right tackles in the game right yeah. now. And he's I think his second second year. Well, this will be the third year in the NFL. So you look at it like if I come back, I'm still in a good position. Mike Evans just freed up another $11 million of cap space because he's one of those guys who bought in. He's already made it so much money. I want another Super Bowl. When you have guys like that, I'm coming back to this. Selfless guys who want to win, who want to win with me. That's You're coming back to a great situation. It's huge. Just like Aaron Rodgers. I, I don't think any other team or any other situation would have Tom Brady thinking like, okay, let's come back. I think if he was still with the Patriots, he would have retired, fully retired. He would have been retired. Yeah, <laughs> but with him coming back to a, a strong running game, still a good offensive lineman, had good wide receiver core, the defense looked good, is going to get better. Like what else? The NFC is a weaker. The NFC is a weaker conference compared to the AFC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to a certain extent. To a certain extent, I would say, but I don't think. Not I'm and I'm and I'm not saying Brady's ever looking for the easy way out, but I'm saying like with, with the elite quarterbacks we have in the AFC, like it's more it's more up and coming and established like like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, like it's just so many in the AFC. I feel as though like he's obviously like we want to see that Brady Rogers re- rematch. We still want to see that Brady Rogers rematch. Of course, but <laughs> we have to see that. But I mean, it, it, it does feel as though it's one of those things where, especially with that Rams loss. They were so close, yeah. and the only thing that, that kept them back was the defense. Yeah, and they came back and then came up short. I think that left a bad taste in his mouth. I think he was – but, again, with all that we just said, what else? Yeah. What else, exactly. What else Is do you want to accomplish, Tom? Yeah. But, hey, he's back. I hate it for Kyle. I wanted Kyle Trask to be able to, you know, be able to start, but that's another guy sitting behind one of the greatest quarterback, the greatest quarterback ever. So he's not in a bad situation. I think Kyle Trask to get his shot eventually, eventually. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and now transitioning to Russell Wilson headed to Denver and just um, how, how this how this trade kind of impacts the Broncos immediately. Um, it consisted of Denver agreeing to trade quarterback Drew Locke, tight end uh, Noah Font, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, two first first-round picks and a 2022 fifth-round selection to the Seahawks for Wilson and a 2022 fourth-round pick. And, you know, this obviously gives Denver an elite quarterback, you know, which they haven't had in a while since Peyton Manning. And mm-hmm. for Seattle, it gives them a foundation on which to rebuild without Wilson. But um, what are your thoughts on this trade and, and what it can do for the Broncos this season and, and a crowded AFC West? Broncos! What a, what, a, what, a, what, a, what, a, what a trade you just did. I like the trade. You were last in your division, AFC West. You're one and five, seven and ten overall. You had spurts of greatness, but 
it just wasn't the quarterback situation just wasn't what they wanted to be. I think it worked out for both parties because Russell Wilson, all like last year and the year before that, like 2020, 2021, he was trying to see what he can, how he can get out of the Seahawks. Then he came back with like, okay, I'm gonna stay with the Seahawks. But I think it's a perfect opportunity because if you look at what they can do last year, they were 20th in passing, and then they were 13th in a running game. So you add a, a decent quarterback, and Russell Wilson is way better than a decent quarterback. That all changes. They go in the top 10 of passing offense, and they continue to go into the top 10 in a rushing offense because all that's going to open up a lot of things for Melvin Gordon. They 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 have the pieces. Um, I think Jerry Judy will finally get his opportunity to show what he really, really, really can do with a quarterback like that. We see what DK Metcalf was able to do with Russell Wilson. You got Cortland Sutton. You got all these guys that can are capable of taking the top off. It's going to be really, really good. I'm the only sore spot I say their defense is lacking, and I think they will address that in the draft, hopefully address that in the draft, but the offense is going to look good immediately. Russell Wilson will bring that that. The extended play, they haven't had a quarterback extended play in, since 1945. I don't know if that's accurate <laughs> or not. But he's going to bring they, – they can bring that option into it. Melvin Gordon has, has success in that. He, I think he can be able to do that. And Jerry Judy, man, come on. Come on now. Yeah. The, the upside is is, is, is is so much up there. It, it's, it's really up there for them because of – with these players – and that's another thing. Like, with these younger players getting the opportunity to play with an elite quarterback like Russell Wilson, like – do you think that's going to be like one of the obviously like there's so many motivating factors every season, but especially when when you're about to to step into the room with with a quarterback who's been in Super Bowl, been to mm-hmm. two Super Bowls, and has that experience, and now he can elevate your play. And that's extremely uh, confidence builder for younger guys yeah. like Jerry Judy coming in. Like I haven't had a seasoned quarterback. Mm-hmm. I haven't had a quarterback this good since Alabama. So now I have a quarterback who's been to the NFL. I'm not into, excuse me, been to the Super Bowl, who's who's won X amount of games, who's the best dime thrower in the NFL history. He's Russell Wilson's one of the best dime throwers. My game (laughs) is about to elevate. I I open majority of the time, I didn't have a quarterback to give me the ball. Russell Wilson can do that. He's going to immediately make them better. And he's he's smart. He's intuitive. I think the offense has changed a little bit to fit more of Russell Wilson's style. But I think it's gonna. I think it's good for these young guys to get that veteran presence and who's selfless. The guy wants you to be successful. He wants you to do great things. So I'm looking for Jared Judy to take take the top off of his potential and be the top wide Absolutely. receiver, top five wide receiver in the NFL. Absolutely. And, and now transitioning to, to just kind of early thoughts on on March Madison and, and who could also be a dark horse. Mm-hmm. Um, Gonzaga was just able to beat uh, Georgia State 93-72, and they're the uh, one of the, the main number one seeds. And, and to me, like, th- th- this season, there hasn't been, like, that overwhelming favorite. But mm-hmm. I look at Gonzaga kind of as the favorite right now because, you know, even though they've been close a few times, it it really feels as though this might be the right time for them as, you know, they have the possible number one overall pick in this year's uh, NBA NBA draft in Chet Holgram. And they also have kind of, like, the most efficient offense in the country and ranked seventh in defense. Historically, 14 of the last 19 title winners were top 15 in offense and de- defensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. And they were obviously just there last year against Baylor. And and sometimes when you have teams that face that that, that championship loss and then kind of get the, the the opportunity back and have a number one overall pick possibly, I, I definitely think the upside is is right up there for them. Um but to you kind of like looking at this at this tournament so far, 
Iowa has an upset loss yep. uh, today as well. Who do you kind of feel feel as though should be the favorite as of now? Favorite? No one, because it's March Madness. That's true. And that's a good point. And I, <laughs> and I like that's why I never do brackets because when I was in high school, like in college, I used to do brackets in like the first. First couple of games, it's over. It's still fun. Do- it's still fun. It's still, it's still fun. fun. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm investing too why, much why into it. Try? Yeah, <laughs> I always lose. That's why I'll do fantasy football and fantasy basketball because mm. after a while, I just got like, ah, whatever. I'm just losing. <laughs> but I don't think it's a clear cut. I, I do like Gonzaga. Um, I do like Auburn still. I think Auburn is going to um do some do some they're things. Gonna go they're gonna they're gonna go far. I even like Arkansas. Um, yes, Ohio State obviously is another favorite of mine, but the I like Tennessee as well. Tennessee, Tennessee and Purdue has surprised me a lot this mm-hmm. year, too. But I think the dark horse, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself. Well, it's and tell me I'm not ahead, Miami, man. man. Miami nice. is the that's dark horse, their defense, bro. That's they turn they create a lot of turnovers and they're they they hit 48% from the field. And bro, I think they can go the distance, but I don't want to. Over the years, over the last few years, we, we, we've recorded during March Madness. We always pick teams with, with elite defenses. Yes, we always for dark horse. <laughs> it has to because we know all yeah. these guys could score, and they're gonna get their points. But if you have a great defense and you create turnovers, your your upside is your percentage of going to the Sweet Sixteen, mm-hmm. eight, you know, Final Four. It goes up a little bit, but so I'm gonna take the defensive oh, yeah. team, and I think Miami. They play USC. I think they they're gonna get rid of USC and go go a little further. But I think Miami is my dark horse. And, and, and I mean, like you, you literally j- 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 really pick like one of the best dark horses you could you could find in there. And, and a team that that stands out to me that they they kind of are a little under the radar is Murray State. Ah, uh, yes. Because when you, when you look at the team, they still have players on, on the roster who are part of the you know John Morant led team that upset Mark in 2019. Yep. And at 32, they've got one of the best win percentages in the sport, but they're not talked about as much. And you know, haven't lost since December 22nd. And I, and I definitely think like, like that that could be one of the the, the main ones. Uh, but but to you to to you though, like, do you feel as though that that's what makes March obviously like that's what yeah. makes March Madness itself? Because like, if we had a clear cut favorite, I don't think the interest would be would be there as much. Yeah, you you see the difference between NBA and NCAA March Madness. You got front runners. You, yeah, you got front runners, but with March Madness, anybody could be upset. Anybody, and that's the beauty of that's why I love college basketball, college football. Any given Saturday, so it's so pure. Anytime someone who's supposed to win can lose, and I love that. And I, I, I you want to go, you want to say Gonzaga is the clear cut, or uh, dude, they might fall, or, they might fall, to they Memphis. might Never fall. Know. <laughs> Memphis has played good these past couple Memphis, years. That's gonna be an intriguing matchup, a very intriguing matchup. I'm looking forward to that one. And then you, I mean, it's a lot of teams this year that are, you know, like you look at UCLA. UCLA have been a top five, and what's coming? UCLA in, was in, in the minute. final four last year. Exactly. UCLA was in the final, and they they got a lot of the returning guys coming back, and that's the team I have my own as well. So they ain't been good since Kevin Love. So Pudgy. Yeah. <laughs> with the undershirt, with the big with, undershirt. With the undershirt, yes. <laughs> with the big undershirt. Scoring 40-20, man. That Kevin then he came, Love was then he came back to Cleveland. Then he came back to Cleveland. GQ. <laughs> when he left Timberwolves, his whole career was over. Oh, yeah. Oh. He was 40-20 every night, man. That's crazy. Man. I'm telling you, guys, if you haven't seen Kevin Love in Minnesota, go go on YouTube yes. and look at Kevin Love Minnesota Island. Those are just so good. You won't would not be disappointed. disappointed at all. 
Um, but, but now just transitioning to the NBA and just kind of thoughts on who has had the more impressive rookie season between um, mm. Kate Cunningham, Kate Cunningham, and Evan Mobley. You know, both of these players have been just overwhelming, impactful rookies for their respective teams. As you know, Kate Cunningham has been able to run Detroit's offense at a high level, and then uh, be also be a clear cut uh, elite playmaker. And then for Evan Mobley, he's displayed consistency all over all, all year. And when you've got a player like him who has the length and ability just to check players so well, it, like that. That's why I would go with Evan Mobley because he's mm. he's been able to have the impact yeah. in a defensive sense for Cleveland, and they're right up there like as one of the best seeds in the East in terms of top five. Like, but to you, between both of these two players, and and, and like the, the, so many so many parts of, of of these players' games, it's different yeah. because Cade Cunningham, it's more so playmaking. Evan Mobley, obviously, like it's defense. Yeah. But to you, like, which one has kind of been more of a standout? You know, I love point guards. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I like Kay Cunningham, uh, especially, <clears throat> excuse me, as of late, man. He's been balling out. Um, he's a he's a double-double guy. He's, he's a playmaker. His eyes are always looking for the mismatch, slashing guys, exactly. throwing dimes. I love guys who can who can lead and facilitate. And he'll give you 23 points, 10. Like, like the game against the Clippers, man. I think the, the Clippers have the fourth-ranked defense, and he was picking them apart. I think he finished with 23, 10, 9. And you just see his IQ at that young age. And I'm like, it's, for looking at a rookie, you don't want to give him too much praise because that sophomore right. slump is real. It's real. It's, it's real. <laughs> so having a rookie that good, this early author who can facilitate, who, who's, who's getting guys open and getting guys to their spot, that's rare. I love that. I love it because... At the end of the day, when your shoot three-pointer guy is missing, he's 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 in a slump, or you can't get it to the post, your point guard is your guy who has to create something. And Kay Cunningham is a guy who can create, create his own shot, and help his teammates get to their points too. So I think Kay Cunningham, especially late, has been great for the Pistons. Uh if they I think if they start adding the right pieces, Pistons are gonna be, you know, at least back to some type of glory where they used to be. But yeah, Kay Cunningham. Definitely. He's legit. For sure. And, and now getting into um, just thoughts on if Utah or Dallas is more of a threat to go further in the postseason. Mm. I mean, Dallas has been on a, a recent terror. Yes. They, they're able to beat Boston at home on Sunday. Then they have just, just an incredible finish uh, at, at Brooklyn as, as Spencer Din, Dinwiddie hits a three at, at the buzzer. And to, to me, like with what the Mavericks are doing, um, like currently against elite teams. And and we're seeing the level of play, obviously, with what Luca is doing. And then you have a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie who has the experience. Mm -hmm. They're really kind of clicking at, at the right time. And then with Utah, we're seeing some more injury in terms of just like Mike Conley yeah. not playing at, at, at the level. That, yes. and, th and that's really really the thing we have to see. Like if that team's going to unlock their potential, Mike Conley has to, to be at that all-star level. But to you, between both of these teams, like which one do you think could be more of a threat in the postseason? I think Dallas. I think Dallas wholeheartedly. Um you know, I'm, I was never convinced with Utah. They they always had, you know, the potential, but I never thought they can get over that hump in the postseason. I think Dallas still still a young team. Still, they still have they're still battling some injuries. You know, Tim Hardaway is still down, and I think Reggie Bullock is still fighting an injury on and off. But I think when you add a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie in the offseason, I think he and he could play the point and he could play the two guard. He could play the three guard if he wanted to, but he's he's more prolific oh, sure. with the with the one and two. And Luca, I think, is continuing to show people and show me. Uh, he's making me a believer that he can lead this team longer in the postseason. I think 
you know, if everybody comes back healthy and they and Tim Hardaway can get back, I know it's gonna it's kind of far fetched, but if Tim Hardaway Jr. could get back and they can get things cracking, I think Dallas has the better opportunity to go longer just for Luca. Luca, Luca, I think Luca can lead this team. He reminds me a lot of Larry Bird. And, you know, I saw this thing on NBA.com. They were comparing him. I was like, that's who he definitely reminds me of. Larry Bird. Sure. His game is yeah. like that slow step backness, but it's like it's so precise the way he steps and he can get it out real fast and he he can shoot at any angle. Yeah, man, that's Larry Bird all over. So I think, yeah, I'm just not convinced. I'm not convinced with the Spider. I'm not convinced with Rudy Gobert. I'm not convinced with Conley. I'm not convinced with Utah Jazz. Yeah, they're number four right now, but I do not convince they can go longer in the postseason. Yeah, it, it, they really, they they really have to have to show something, uh, particularly, uh, especially in this year's playoffs, because last year they they lose to the Clippers without mm-hmm. Kawhi, and yep. then obviously like people are are, are going to want to see more of what they can do, especially in this year's playoffs. Um, but 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 another another headline that that actually happened last night was Steph Curry um going down with the left foot injury oh, yeah. uh, late uh, you know against Boston obviously like you're just getting back Draymond Green mm-hmm. and plays and, and and Clay starting to get more comfortable and then you have Steph out for an indefinite time like what are kind of your thoughts on just where Golden State is currently and how that injury can obviously like impact their their seating and the standings and what they'll need to to do when he's out I think this gives an opportunity for Clay Thompson because a lot of people. Has been down in Clay that he should not be in yeah. the starting five. He should come off the bench, yada, yada, yada. Once he starts getting where he used to be and even more, they're going to see, they're going to shut up real fast. And I think this is going to, yeah, very fast. And I think this is going <laughs> to catapult him to be able to do that, just that, yeah. shut people up. Now, who are you going to run the offense through? It has to be Clay. That will is is going to spark Clay to be the other splash, bro. Be the guy that I know he can be on another team. Show him right there, because every time Clay, now every time stuff did go out when he was before Clay got injured, they were good. This was before Kevin Durant too. They were good. Clay was still 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 the man. I think that's what we're missing. I think that's what people are forgetting this how is good the Clay is. Opportunity. Yes. This is the perfect opportunity for Clay to to, to step up. People are perfect forgetting person. who Clay Thompson is. Don't do that. Do not do don't that at do all. That. <laughs> That's a warning. It's a warning on full scope. Yeah, don't do don't that. Do that. <laughs> Clay Thompson's that guy, bro. You know how hard it is For to sure. come off that type of injury and still he's still playing at a high level, I believe. That's yeah. extremely difficult. Come on. That is so but I don't think Marcus Smart did that on purpose, though. He was just going, he was going yeah. after the ball. I, I really man. don't. And I know he has a, some people have a, have, have a history of kind of like tagging him as a dirty player, but that was not, no, that was not, that was hustle. That was hustle one on one. And Steve Kerr, bro, I know you upset that's your best player. He's going, and went, went down, he's out for an extended amount of time, but that was a clean play. Cause yeah, I don't yeah. You could even see Marcus Smart look at Steve Kerr like, man, come on, like, like did you not just see that? Like I, that was not intentional at all. Like, he he, he was so vehement. I agree with him being vehement because I know like that just looking at it, there was no intent intent there. Yeah. And that's the first thing I saw. I was like, I didn't even look at the headline. I was like, oh man, that was a crazy play. They were going both going at the ball. He just got hit wrong. How many times we see players do that and just like they don't get hurt? It's just freakishly that Steph Curry got hurt at that point. But it was clean. Yeah. I don't think it was no vindictive action towards because Marcus Smart is a go getter. Anyways, he's a hustle guy. That's Always. his. That's his whole Always. mo. I'm a hustle. MO. I'm a. I'll work Definitely. you. So, 
Yeah, if it was Patrick Beverly, then we'll oh, yeah. <laughs> we might have to talk a little more about it. He's the instigator. He's the instigator. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, and now we're joined by a special guest once again, Maurice Hendricks, a multimedia content creator focusing on making music, film, production, and video game design. And he's been on countless times in the past, but thank you so much for being back on, man. Yes, man. Anytime, anytime. Excited. Yeah, man, definitely. And to start with our first album review with Lucky Day's Candy Drip and just kind of thoughts on how the sophomore album compares to his first. Um, this new album contains just so many stylistic qualities of the classics with the lo-fi feel of the SoundCloud era. And throughout this project, Day addresses romance that... Um, goes through the highs and the lows. Songs like Guess um, highlights his sultry vocals over a sample of Usher's You Don't Have to Call. Then tracks like NWA incorporate elements of trap. But um, for you, Maurice, like kind of what were your initial thoughts on the album that just, you know, an easy going body of work and some of the things, themes he incorporated into, into some of these tracks? Yeah, so I actually, I never really listened to Lucky Day. I've, I've heard some of his tracks um, before this album, but this is actually the first album that I listened to in full. Um, but man, I was really impressed with this body of work. Yes. Um, it flowed together so well. Um, you could tell every song was like meant to go together. Um, the production is insane on this album. Um, I wish Even the I intermission. Yeah, the bro. intermission was like twenty eight seconds. Oh my god, <laughs> that, that thirty seconds was oh, dude. I I repeated that like four <laughs> times, bro. Yeah, bro. Dude, it was just it, it was such a well produced album, and uh, everything was mixed well. And then just, like, the lyrics themselves are really good, man. I, I really enjoyed this album. I saved, like, honestly, most of the songs. And uh, it definitely gave me, um, like, him as an artist, like, some of the songs I've had heard in the past, um, like, he's always been unique to me. But he also, on this album, I heard a lot of Frank Ocean, in my opinion, um, which, you know, I love Frank Ocean. So I, I heard the inspiration from, from artists like Frank Ocean, and uh, it, it just really made the project really enjoyable to me. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, when you hear artists kind of, like, re reflect certain themes and sounds of a different artist, like, do, do you feel as though there's a possibility, though, like, he may be kind of, like, trying to bring some of those elements from other top-tier artists into his music that, that he's putting out currently? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, for me, I, I know I I try to incorporate elements I hear from... I, I am a very inspirational-driven artist, I would say. So, like, I... If I hear something like that I really like, I'm going to try to incorporate it into my own music. So I think that a lot of artists do the same thing where they don't want to like directly copy like their favorite artists or their biggest inspirations, but they do try to like incorporate some of the elements that, you know, they like about them into their own music. And you can like tell that there's inspiration there. But I feel like it was it was good enough to where Lucky Day uh still sounded like himself and didn't sound too much like Frank Ocean. But you could definitely hear the influence from Frank Ocean. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and for you, Savon, like in terms of just like your overall thoughts on this project and kind of maybe like some of the standout tracks in it, like how do you think this this album flowed together and just some of your initial thoughts with it? I thought it flowed well. I thought the production was dope. Um, outside of that, I really, I didn't gel well with it because I used to listen mm. to Lucky Day a lot. Um mm. But I thought this was a bit different. I think he he definitely went commercial. You could tell the difference between his, his old music and this and his newer music. I think because he he had a lot. He's from New Orleans, so he had a and he came from the church, so he had a lot of influence. You can tell the difference. Now this sounds like a commercial album, mm -hmm. especially with Lil Durk on it. I thought um, Smino was a good feature, and Child. I, I'm a big fan of him. He has yes, some dope Child music. Is fire. 
Yeah. Um, but I, de- I definitely, you definitely hear the commercialism in this, in this, in this album. And I'm not big on commercialism, especially when you started um, at a point in your career where you were to your roots. So I mean, it wasn't a bad album. I, I, like I'm, I'm with Reese, I thought it was flow well. Each song flow well into each other, especially intermission. I'm definitely with y'all with intermission. Yes, sir. <laughs> it should have yeah, been longer, but hey, I'm, 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 only thirty I'm seconds. That bro. was wild. And I guess that was wise. It was an intermission, but I mean, it was. Uh-huh. I mean, it was. It was okay. I'm not. I'm not trying to nitpick it too much, but I'm not a big fan of artists transitioning to commercialism just to sell their records. Like Summer Walker, I was. I, I didn't like what she did. Now that, she's. I, that's back exactly to, who I was, who I was yeah. supposed to about to bring up because yeah. <laughs> it's that Summer Walker comparison. But you definitely hear the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I mean, in terms like like for for either of you, like, were there any like. Uh, tracks like, like like some immediate ones because to me like feel feels like yes um obviously compassion and candy drip were, were some like the standouts to me like but were there any like immediate standouts uh, to you guys uh obviously intermission um mm-hmm. definitely feels like dude the the production uh, feels like the production i mean the uh or the melody that is so stuck in my head uh and there's so much attention to detail um i also really like the compassion with child and then I think Over was like the big, um, his big single for the album. Um, so it, it flowed, it flowed better in the album to me. Yeah, I, I, it I, did. Like, like, like before it, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Yeah, I agree. It, it definitely has that super commercial sound, um, yeah. but I, I still liked it anyways. I thought it was a decent song. And then obviously the feature with Smino was a uh, very good fire. Savon, were there any like main standouts to you on this one? Um, <clears throat> besides the ones that Reese just said, Cherry Forest. I love the the different underrated. Yeah, I think it was a nice little switch up at the tail end. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really dope. I thought the the auto tunes would sound really really good on his vocals. They mm-hmm. kind of brought the song out a little bit more. Yeah, Cherry Force was dope. Definitely. Um, and now trans- transitioning to Benny the Butcher's Tana Talk Four review and his newest project, Benny gives you know a, a real gritty and independent type of victory lap, and the smoldering production from the Alchemist is, is just extremely pinpoint and. Benny effortlessly takes center stage um, throughout the project, rhyming tenaciously and highlighting the pitfalls of street life. Um, especially in a track like, like Those Revenge, he's just able to flow in a way that is both, you know, intricate and effortless over its regal horns. Um, to you, Maurice, like, what were your over, overall thoughts on this album? And also, you know, e- even though Derringer helped produce a lot of this album as well, what were some of your takeaways on just how Alchemist also proves to be in his own class with production quality? Um, you know, I think the production quality was very consistent on this album. Um, sure. I think I think the biggest thing for me though was there wasn't a lot of variation and switch up with uh you know there being 12 songs so I did get a little bored while listening to it um and really? then it that may be due to the fact that I listen to more melodic stuff though uh <laughs> but that's just me that's just me yeah it, I listen to a lot of melodic stuff um okay so yeah. some that may be why I got a little bit bored I think his pen was consistent, like lyrically, but you know, I just think he should have had some more variation on the on the tape. Like maybe like more more so of a project like Burden of Proof, because I, I did hear some people say like that that project kind of had more variation in it compared to this one. Definitely, like like you said, they yeah. went for this gritty tone, and they stay with that. Gritty. Yeah, they stay with that the whole time. Like the beats all kind of sounded similar. Um, it was they were solid beats, but I, I would only like that for like two or three songs on on an album like this, you know. Not like the whole whole twelve songs. Whole album. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, I mean, I, Savannah, I already know <laughs> your takeaway. Go ahead. Go ahead. You didn't, you didn't like you know, it. I like Boom Pap. <laughs> like a variation. I, I, I like the Boom Pap style, and it's, it's like typical, not typical, but it's authentically hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his flow is terrible in a, a couple of these songs. Like, when he first started on Back Two Times, like, it's how you started off, I was like, yo, just, what's up with your flow, Benny? <laughs> and then... um. Yeah, like reset, like yo, change it up, bro. It was the same boom pop, just a little things in the background tweaked a little bit, melody tweaked just a little bit, and then yeah, you get bored. I got bored with this album. All right, you, Benny is still talking about the same thing. Okay, cool, bro. What are you? Even Pop Smoke gave us, you know, authentic New York, and he gave us like the melodic or just any something else. You know what I mean? You really think Jay Z want to get a feature? Hop on one of your songs on this album. <laughs> okay, buddy. Okay, buddy. Nah, I didn't. I, I wasn't rocking with this album. It's just. It was just like you know. Is there is there a previous album album to you, Savon? Like in terms of something he's done no. in the past that you feel as though if he went, you, you just, yeah, you just feel, you're just at your wits end. You're just at your wits end with this guy. I, I think <laughs> Benny is very lyrical, but yes. at a certain point, you're talking about the same exact thing. Over and mm. over, just in a different shoe or different scenery, bro. Give us something different. Like I'm telling, even like New York, New York guys give us something different. So there's no excuse, no excuse at all. And I, I don't think Benny Butch is a good rapper. Don't get me wrong. I think the Boom Pap is really dope because it's authentically oh, sure. hip hop. But at your tail in your career, bro, give us something else. Obviously, the standout track was Johnny Johnny P. Caddy, though. Killer. Yeah, Killer. that J. Cole feature, man. That is crazy, man. I, I mean, only we, 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 even talk, we, we, we even talked about... <laughs> That's why it was number one. That's why yeah, yeah, was, I, I, I agree, bro. I agree. <laughs> that was the first track. <laughs> the first track. He knew what he was doing. For sure. <laughs> but, but I mean, in, in terms of just an elite verse like that, like to you, Maurice, like... What, what 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 impressed you the most about J. Cole's verse? Because it was it's one of the best we've had so far this year. Yeah. Man, I tell you, <laughs> he got all that feedback from the mixtape, bro, that he do- he dropped last year. That's what it was. He said, off-season. all right. Yeah, on the offseason. Because, uh, man, I, I haven't heard a J. Cole verse like that in a while. In a but, man, it, it was just everything from the parallel. He, like, drew, he, like, painted a story and then also, like, connected the dots at the same time um, with all how all the bars connect together. And that's how I really that's what I really like about J. Cole's pen is the way he's able to do that. Uh, but he just really did his thing on this verse. It was it was just he said uh He had the greatest birth of all time. He had the greatest birth of all yeah, time. Yeah, literally, bro. Brain was corn. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> bro. I'm like, oh my God, this dude's good. <laughs> yeah, that was that was yeah. a dope verse, man. For sure. Um, and, and now getting get into to Lil Durk's uh, 7220 review. In this new album from him, Dirk aims to bring, you know, listeners into his own personal sphere and speak on just the various hardships he, he faced throughout his youth. Um, also exploring subjects like the void left from having, you know, an incarcerated father and the impoverished conditions um, he and his family were subject to. But um, to you, Maurice, like in terms of the content matter he was addressing in this, like, do you feel as though it was a well-rounded project and, and kind of like what were your thoughts on some of the features he had on it as well? Man, I ain't gonna lie. I didn't like this album either, bro. I didn't like this one. Yeah, like nah. This. It was, <laughs> was not so it. dangerously mid, bro. Th- this it, was even. Yeah. This was even like more like repetitive than Benny's. Hey, so, wait, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Reset that again, please. <laughs> I said it was so dangerously mid. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I've never heard somebody say that before. That's so how. That's how mid it is. Mid. That's how mid it is. I had Yo. to invent a new word, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta steal that, bro. 
Yeah, bro. <laughs> but yeah, man. Because it, it, it's like on the... It's on the... It's on... It's right there close to being bad. But I wouldn't I say it's you. bad. You know, because the production... Obviously, the production is going to be there. The beats and stuff. But you know... You know, like yeah, we said way. earlier, the beats just being the same beat over and over again. And yes, then like his flow being the exact same formula, you know, that he uses the whole time. You know, it just... For 17... Like, I, I, it's cool if you do that for like eight songs, bro. Like, do it like a little EP in that style. But 17 songs, man? I don't know, man. That's just not it. Yeah. Um, to, to, to you, Savon, kind of like, what were some of your initial thoughts on it and just... Was it was it dangerously mid? Was it dangerously mid? <laughs> Yo, that is perfect spot on. That's why I said Reese. Please say that again, bro. It's spot on, bro. It's the same exact thing, but he has so like a big following, loyal fans. That's what they want from him. That's what they expect from. So kudos. Doesn't to, work for us. Yeah, Doesn't no. work for us. Doesn't work for us. Dangerously mid is what we gonna stamp on that thing, bro. <laughs> Crazy. Dirk is the type of artist I like more in features than I do. His, oh, his for sure, for <laughs> sure, bro. <laughs> um, but 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 now getting in, into 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 Drake's more life. This was it's crazy to think it was literally five years ago that that, that that he released this, and you know we're able to hear just you know certain melodies and tracks that you know hadn't always been heard before in his discography. And as always, you know there's just um assured lyrics and smoother sequencing, and in excellent tracks like Passion Fruit, you have you know a five minute chill wave jam jamming, and then there's the strong elements of dance hall, but to you, like uh, Maurice, like looking back at this project, like what are your thoughts on how just this was a nuanced collection of songs that recalled various stages of Drake's development as an artist? Yeah, I feel like I feel like this album was his most experimental in terms of going, uh, in terms of blending a bunch of different genres and styles into one mixtape or playlist, yeah, as sure. he calls it. You know, like we gotta we gotta hit him that on. I didn't, even, I didn't even know how to properly. Yeah, title yeah exactly. It. It a playlist to <laughs> I don't, he said it was a playlist, but that's so dumb. Yeah, it's obviously cool. a, a mixtape. Um, but like, uh, like I was saying, he he uh, blended a bunch of different styles, and like he 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 gave us a glimpse of that on views. You know, he stepped out um, and did some some you know a little bit of R and B and stuff like that. But you know, I think in th- in this project, he really uh, gave us a. Of like a very variety bag, um, a good mix of songs, and I think a lot of people slept on them at first, you know, because once when when you go back and listen to a lot of this, fire, um, it, it's so fire, bro. There's so many good songs on it. It's just a really good album. What's what's your what's your top three? Mm. Okay, because like, because I've got mm. I've got do not disturb, okay, yeah, fever, yes. and passion fruit. Okay, yeah. If you don't put do not disturb on that list, you you're you're not yeah. a Drake fan because that's not. that's. That's that 7 a.m. in Germany, man. Like that's that that's that that's that uh that's that <laughs> time, you know, time song. It is. But I'm gonna say do not disturb. I'm gonna say lose you and Okay. Okay, I wanna give it to like Passion Fruit, because obviously Passion Fruit is a good song. But I re- I like uh Can't Have Everything as well. So either um, one of those two. I'll trip. Okay. Oh, oh, I mean, this man about to say forty-four twenty-two. That's what I'm about to say as well. Nah, bro. That's top five. Wait, wait, wait. That's top. No, y'all tripping. Ice melts. Get out of here. You tripping? Ice melts is the best song on this this playlist. No, you tripping? Lose you is way better than Do Not Disturb. What? I'll argue with that. What? Whoa, bro, bro, I will argue. I you get a hook too. Did I lose you? Did I? 
Did I, I will always take did fine stamps, but, but do not disturb his straight bars. And he's yes, but lose you is fire because you get a hook with it too. You get, get bars get with that. lose you and you get That's a fair. hook. Ice melts, lose you, and ooh, teenage fever. Okay, know, teenage fever is, cla- is a classic. Yeah. Teenage fever is fire, bro. Yeah. yeah. And it was about J-Lo, so. <laughs> yeah, bro. Come on. Golden. But nah, yeah. I, Do Not Disturb is fire, but if I'm if I'm thinking like top three, I get a hook and I get bars. I got to go with the hook and the bar. Well, we can all agree that uh, Glow was not good. Oh, my God. Wait, 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 wait. Was, glow was decent, bro. I can't do it. What you just said? What you say? What you just said? It was dangerously mid. Yo, was, yeah. I yeah, rock with like, glow. That was this kind of watch yeah. out for me. <laughs> Bro, nothing into some things is really underrated. Nothing yes. Was yes. I, people sleep on that. I'm wild. Yeah. Let me calm down, guys. <laughs> Whenever we talk about Drake, we get so yes, go, let's go. Wow, well it's it. I need you to calm that down, bro. I'm no cheerleader, bro. <laughs> but but I mean, a, a, another thing, like like looking at the collection of mixtapes he's had, like if he does put out another, I mean, he's probably going to put out something. I, I mean, he always puts out new music. But in terms of like a, a Darkland demo tapes compared to something like this, like like what's the next type of mixtape you guys would like want to hear from Drake? I don't want another Darkland mi- I don't want that. You didn't like Darkland? I like three songs on Darkland. I I liked Dark Lanes because I I felt like I wanted a... It was a concise collection. Yeah, I felt like I wanted more of that on Certified Lover yeah. Boy than what he gave us, to be honest. Just that, like, it had that, like, dark, kind of, like, Playboy cardi sound, you know what I'm saying? Um, throughout the entire, entire thing. Yeah. And then War and Demons were just like, why were they on there? Like, they just... Yeah. <laughs> I'd say the same thing. But there were so G4 many good songs on that project. Day. Yeah. Desires. Bro. Um, uh, that's the, Pockets. That's Time Flies, the most yeah. underrated Drake song in history. For sure. Oh, yeah. I'm outside. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah, that's fine. From Florida with Love? Mm-hmm. I don't like that one. What? Mm-mm. The production like, is so solid. What is up with these things? Bro, I listened to three songs. Not you two, Desires and Time Flies, bro. Them the three songs. You don't listen to Chicago Freestyle. You, no, you're bro. telling me you don't listen to Chicago Freestyle. No, Tussie Slide? You don't listen to Tussie Slide? Okay. I hate Tussie Slide. Okay, Tussie I know it got overplayed. I know it got overplayed. I didn't like it when it got played. Like I didn't like it in the beginning. Like, it's not, yeah. It's what it was like um started from the bottom for me. I didn't like starting from the bottom at first. I thought it was dumb. Yeah, I was like, why did he put this out? Yeah. Then you get into it. But it was Tootsie Slide was just dumb. Right for uh <laughs> shut up. Shut up. He definitely did it for TikTok, obviously. Oh, for he sure. For yeah. And yeah. it was yeah. yeah, nobody blew. was outside. He yeah. knew what he was doing. It was smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, let me just do this one. Let me do one TikTok. One one TikTok song. <laughs> Well, I'm, say honest that time, me and you, Maurice got to talk about you. And season I'm on me. Gotta... <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We oh, out of here. <laughs> oh, that was, that was oh, nice. He actually nice. dated. Yeah. He actually. <laughs> but, but I mean, to you, Maurice, like in terms of just analysis of this season and expectations for season three, you know, for, for me, there's just so many headlines and character development that, that can be discussed. Um, Sam Levinson really gave just us a, a, a more introspective and, um, Melancholic, melancholic type of season. You know, you have a moral sentiment that's more time worn, and there's just just so many plot, plot lines that are obviously predictable. And then 
characters like Brew and Jules and even Maddie and Cassie deal with problems that are, you know, heightened by a deeper interest. But what were some of your takeaways from season two and which character, like, do you feel as though went through the most development? Yeah. So I think overall, season two, man, I, I definitely like it way better than season one. Um, just because, like you said, there's so much character development. There's so many yeah. things that opened up with this season. And I think the biggest thing is, like, they did explore so many avenues. I think it's also because, you know, some characters were leaving the show um, due to some behind-the-scenes drama with, like, the director and stuff. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, I did hear, yeah. Yeah, with the, with the cat uh, girl. I don't know the actor's name, but… Um, but yeah. That one caught me off guard. Yeah. I did not see that one coming. Yeah. So there, there's so much stuff um, that did happen. But I, I will say the thing that I will praise it the season two about was the whole play um, scenario. They, they're building up that entire season. And also the the stuff how with… How did they get the budget yeah. for that play, man? Dude, well, how exactly. How did they get all that? <laughs> how? Uh, my high school Lexi, was definitely not like that, bro. <laughs> Come on, man. And then just like yeah. the stuff with Fez and stuff, obviously. So… uh uh, I will say the biggest plot hole that they left open, I will say, and they did explain it in a way, and I think they're just gonna like brush past it. Was basically the whole, you know, Rue selling the the drugs, and then um, spoiler like, uh, she like obviously drug like uses them all herself. Did not make any money to give it back to her, and like she, you know, she was talking about, oh, I'm gonna like sell you to you know, uh, whatever, uh, and I think. When she gave her the the antidote in the tub, or whatever, I don't know if you remember that scene. I yes. people were insinuating that she, that was that morning she woke up in somebody else's house and she did get really? sold. But I was like, the the other girl was still there because the dude that the that the white dude that was in the house was like the the dude that the other woman was with, you know. So I don't know if she really woke and up. I thought and, she was gonna get caught. I thought she was gonna get caught yeah. when she was trying to leave. That I whole was, episode, she yeah. Got out. <laughs> that I'm whole episode. She actually got out. Yeah. So that's the biggest like, oh, they're just gonna brush past that you owe someone like thirty thousand dollars or something like that, you know? But it's actually forty five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I feel like they're gonna explore that a little bit next season. But you know, other than that, and, and I really the-, the show is so amazing. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, like, obviously, like, you, you, you have, like, the, 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 the loss of Ashray. Another spoiler, spoiler alert, if you, if, you haven't, if, you have, if you haven't seen season two. Like, with that whole situation with him and Fez getting, like, more attention, like, do you feel as though that was something that, that season two was just gonna, like, obviously have to— because we saw bits and pieces of them in season one, but not as much as we saw in season two. Yeah, I'm so glad they got the, uh, the screen time they deserve. And, uh, they needed it. He uh, Astray already got some more roles lined up uh, in movies and in Hollywood, um, which is so good. It made for him. sense. Yeah, it made sense. Obviously, for him to transition because he had more more things lined up. Yeah, it was it was. But the way they they the way they wrote it into the story was like it was with the character, and so it's like you you could see it coming. Like uh, you know, it's just he's like so self destructive, um, just based on how he was raised. That that was like bound to happen. Um, I mean, I, obviously, I didn't expect that to happen, but like, I I saw it coming in that episode. I was like, dude, this man, he's about to self sabotage. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, like the the new character Elliot, you know, he's someone that Rue can just obviously find a lot of comfort in, and is really an, an enabler for her. But like, do you feel as though like, and people have said this, like sometimes the show really separates itself from the pack and is unique when we see like Rue going through those erratic shifts you know, from elation to cruelty and when we're having to focus on her journey. Like, do you think that's what kind of makes Euphoria 
different and unique is when we see kind of like Rue have those breakdowns and when everybody cares about her the most is, is kind of losing it. Yeah, I think it's so amazing how you get all this character development through from the perspective of Rue. The entire mm. all these all these things that are happening with the characters are all from the perspective of Rue. Um and it's just it's amazing how you can get that much character development in the way it ties into Rue's story in particular. Um and I think that the new character adds such a good dynamic to Rue and Jules um that wasn't there in season 1 like in season one, it was just like, okay, they like each other. It's like teenage love, blah, blah, blah. But then in season two, it was more like relational. And like you could clearly see like, oh, there are different feelings between the three of them. And there's like this triangle. But it's like, it's more realistic than what was happening in like season one. And and at the beginning of like season two. For sure. I, and, and like what... In terms of season three, like, because I mean, we're not getting that season until like literally 2024. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, like, they, 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 they have a lot of more ground to cover. What's one thing particularly in it that you want to see? Because obviously, like, we're seeing the situation with Fez and how Lexi is going to like kind of want to see like how he's holding up. But are there any other plot holes or just things that need to be filled in that you would kind of want to see answered before season three? Because I, I feel as though they're kind of getting to that point where we may be to like one or two more seasons of Euphoria because almost everything has kind of like been building up to a, to a, a brimming point. Yeah. So that's the that's one big thing I will say is a lot of so I have one of my friends was like, "Yeah, I don't know if I can watch this show anymore just based on how like the portrayal of Rue and how like bad she like how bad she is to the people that care about her." Um yeah. which I I see as like obviously there It is a tough watch. Yeah, it's it's point. tough to watch it, but I think you know, I think if they if next season we we got a little bit at the end of season uh 2 where they're where she's starting to turn her life around. And we thought we got that at the end of season one. But then obviously when Jules left, you know, she started using it again at the beginning of season two. But I think in season three, if we really get that, like, obviously we're going to still see a struggle. She's still going to struggle a little bit. But I think if we get a little turnaround in her relationships and in, in her getting better with the addiction, I think we'll, there will be, like, more hope for the season. So that's something I want to see. I want to see Rue doing better. Um, and then I also want to see how the Nate situation turns out because yeah, his character that, is really a menace. That's one that really needs to be answered. Yeah, <laughs> that's one that really needs to be answered. He's a he's a menace to a lot of he affects a lot of people in the show in negative ways. Obviously, his dad is like in jail now, um, and I thought he was getting written off this season, but I guess not. I guess he'll still be in the next too. season, but yeah, for sure. And, and, and Savon, this is actually a point you can be included in. Oh yeah. In in terms in terms of Zendaya and the and, and just the rising actress that she is, and, and obviously like like oh, we've oh seen her God. in films like Mal- and Malcolm Malcolm and Marie No Way Home and, and even in in, in in current shows like to you like what what kind of stands out in terms of like how she's been able to just blow up and really kind of have the perfect blueprint to to success. Yo man, from Disney star to a cokehead, that's crazy. That's all I'm gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> bro. I think. <laughs> Maurice, what are your thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like, I think the whole the reason why she has Euphoria now is like, obviously she. I don't know. She handled her career so well. Yeah, she, she went did. from Shake It Up, and obviously it was like a little kid show, but like she was like Zendaya on that show. Like it was Zende- mm-hmm. Zendaya, and like obviously what's the Bella? What's her name? Bella Thorne, something like that. Um, uh, I think that's her name, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it was Zendaya and Bella Thorne, but it was always like Zendaya 
and Zendaya. You know what I'm saying? And she took that and ran with it because then she, you know, started making music after that. And, like, she has this, like, like domain over the words Zendaya. Like, no one else is Zendaya except Zendaya. And she took that and, like, made the show about that. You know what I'm saying? Um, so she just, I don't know, she handled her career very well. I'll say that. So it's pretty cool to see, um, you know, come to fruition. Definitely. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our review of Bill Shreka Talk. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into a review If Bill Street Could Talk. And to start with the overview, If Bill Street Could Talk is a 2018 romantic drama film written and directed by Barry Jenkins and based on James Baldwin's 1974 novel of the same name, starring an ensemble cast that includes Kiki Lane, uh, Stephen James, Coleman Domingo, Tiana Pierce, Michael Beach, Dave Franco, uh, Diego Luna, Pedro uh, Pascal, Ed Skrine, Brian Tyree Henry, and Regina King. And the film follows a young woman who, with her family support, seeks to clear the name of her wrongly charged lover and proves his innocence before the birth of their child. And this film had a budget of $12 million and brought in $20.6 million into the box office, uh, had a 95% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and received, received just numerous accolades and nominations, including um, Best Support, Supporting Actress wins for King at the Academy Awards and Golden Globes. But to you, Maurice, like to start off, just like, what were your initial thoughts on a film that deals with social realism while being able to, you know, implement cinematic poetry? Yeah, um, the first thing I like about this movie a lot is just the the entire vibe and direction of the cinematography um, and how they handle different shots. Um, as far as like the story and the plot line and just how everything ended up, I I'm was this a was this a story that they told? Was this like a true story that actually happened? I wasn't actually clear on that. It was it was based on a novel, but I'm not sure if it was that this was actually like a 100 percent true story. Okay, okay. no, I, yeah, it has it. It has yeah. different bits of true trueness into it. Yeah, you, you could tell it wasn't thoroughly 100 percent true. Okay, okay, yeah. So to me, there did seem like there was this like obviously I saw the inspiration and the um, where it was going with the story and like what it was trying to tell me as far as like bringing awareness to how black men were treated. Um, and are still treated through the system. But there did feel like there was a lack of of resource or like sources, like not not resources, but like there was just this lack of stuff happening in the film to further support the idea that um there was more injustice than what they showed being done. Yeah, than what they showed happening on this on in the in the film. So I wish that there was more scenes showing that injustice. I know that sounds crazy, but like obviously you know, to to make a greater impact. Because obviously the main thing they were trying to do was like tell this love story, obviously. Um, and, you know, show the show the end result of what would happen, you know, if back what would happen back then when black men were thrown into jail. They had to just take the, the deal that they were giving up with because it was better than dying um, in jail or getting the death yeah. penalty. Um, but I think... Like I said, I think that's the only thing I wish I got a little bit more of was just that, like, a further uh, and deeper under like dive into that injustice. Um, but other than that, I really the music was amazing. Um, the whole vibe um, and cinematography and and production of the movie was was uh, really good. Yeah, for sure. To you, Savon, like, what were some of your initial thoughts on it? And just ju- just like obviously, like how it's dealing with the topic that 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 we see addressed. Every day and, and it's still real and, ne- and needs to be 
Um, and, and just kind of like, how do you think like, like all of these plot lines were able to fit together? First of all, I'm a huge fan of James Baldwin <clears throat> as an activist, as a writer, author, um, the list goes on, man. He's an incredible, he was an incredible mind and what he, his legacy left behind, especially this, this one book and all his other writings that I've read yeah. in college or whatever case may be. What a, what a, what a great mind. But the first thing I noticed and I loved about this film was the soundtrack, was the music, yeah. was the, the instrument. Like it Bro, was, this soundtrack is. <laughs> I still yeah. listen to it. Like Same. if I'm, I feel like on a night drive, like um, uh, which one is it? Oh, Agape is one of yep. them, mm-hmm. and I forgot the other one. Like I just let it play. Like I'm in a vibe mood. So with the cinematographer, which I love the most, and then with the music, bro, it's, it's extremely difficult to find a film whose music matches everything perfectly. Yeah, and it, the tone and it, of the movie. Yeah, and it illustrates for you. Sometimes you don't just need how, the- how important is that? How important is is for the soundtrack to, to match the movie? Because sometimes we don't see that play out in, in a lot of films. It's extremely, because at some points, your cinematography or whatever, you, the, your words or the, the dialogue, monologue, it's not enough. The yeah, music yeah. has to punch. Got to be carried yeah, by something. Exactly. Like what I loved about um, a lot of people didn't like Malcolm and Marie, but I love how they use music to say what they really felt to each other. Yeah. Having that, have that different element to go along with your film, it's extremely um, imperative. And I think with if could Bill, if the if Bill Street could talk, I think they did an excellent job of orchestrating that. Man, yo, the music is so good, and then the plot line. That's. That was every day back in the in the 70s, 60s. Oh, for 50s, sure. Every yeah. day. Regular current. Yeah. So you see how you see the the role of the black woman. And I think mm. that's what I loved about more about this film, how they heightened and highlighted the role of the black woman, how far she had to go to seek justice, but she never really got justice. But yeah. yeah. The music, cinematography, and then the plot line and just James Baldwin all together, bro. Like this, that's why this film was really good. Really dope. Yeah. Sorry. Definitely. Um, and, and to start with our first topic from One to Four Stars, what would you give it? Uh, Maurice, like, looking at this film, like, what, what would kind of be your particular overall rating for it and some of your reasons? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm a, I think I'm going to give it, like, a three. I think, um, I think like, some stuff Savon was saying earlier about the soundtrack being important is very true. Like, I think that's one thing that separates great movies from good movies. Yep. A, <laughs> a soundtrack alone yep. and matching it with cinematography even if the plot line is trash, it's it's like an enjoyable movie to watch just, mm-hmm. just because of the feeling that you get from watching it. Um, so I think... Even I the think, movie Moonlight. Yeah, the, bro. Like the same guy who directed Moonlight directed this and he had a, an, an incredible yes. soundtrack. Yes. That mm-hmm. Yes. So it's like that, that that vibe and that, that uh, br- bridging those two together automatically makes a movie good. But then yeah. on top of that, if it's a good plot line as well, then that's, what, that's just what makes it a great movie. Um, so that's why I'm gonna I'm give it a three. The only thing I'm knocking it down points for was just that I, I wish I had a, a deeper dive into some of the injustices. But I actually like what Savon said, and that's something I really didn't realize. It was I think, like he said, the focus was more on the black woman and how far she had to go um, to seek justice. You know, um, and that's not something I realized. So you just said something there. So that's you know now now I'm seeing it a little different than how it, when I first watched it. Yeah. To, to you, Savon, kind of like what would be your overall rating of it? Uh, four stars <clears throat> from Excellent. beginning to end, man. It This was just a perfect run through for me. Yeah. And outside of the cinematography, the music, the actors, it made you feel, I, it relate, I was related to it. Like it, I, it made me, I put myself in everyone's shoes. It made me feel. 
Like that's what the type of film like this, it has to make you feel. It has to as you prick change or to illustrate what was going on through those ages to conflict, like to actually go throughout change and to see. And I love how it ended because that's exactly the mm-hmm. reality. One of the memorable scenes. Yeah, that's the reality of all the work they had to do. That's reality. It still didn't, you know, pan out to where they wanted to. He still was in jail. So. Because you're not gonna get you're not gonna get the perfect ending. No, because that's not how that's not how it is in real life. Exactly, and I think yeah. that's the, the realism about it. Um, and and I think they they touched on so many things, and I, that's why I love James Baldwin as a writer. In that time, that's where the black man was absent. The True. '70s going yeah. into the '80s. So now, who What's has to take? Well, yeah, exactly. Who has to take mm-hmm. over? And that's why you highlight the the structure of the black family and the woman taking over. Because one, most black men was incarcerated. Two, one, they were on drugs or they died for overdose or something like that. Three, some did leave, but I think that was the most. I think they highlighted most of what really happened with the black family. I, yeah. I look at it as in a different lens. That's why I that's why I gave it a four stars. It touches so many things outside of the cinematography, the soundtrack. And I'm just a huge fan. I, I go nerdy over James Baldwin, man. He's an incredible mind. Amazing. Yeah. I, I I would go with four as well. I mean, to me, this was just a visually striking film, along with the narrative beats it consisted of. And it's just able to capture the, the depth and complication of intimacy just so well. Mm-hmm. But now transitioning to favorite character, I would I would go with Kish as you know, as a protagonist, she really is having to balance just so many heavy circumstances with, you know, a looming pregnancy and then the imprisonment of her fiance. And to me, just Kiki Lane is able to convey that and portray it just so well in this performance. Yeah. But um, to you overall, Maurice, like, like kind of what was your favorite performance? Yeah, I'm going to say Tristan. Favorite, well. favorite character. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say Tristan <laughs> as well. <Yeah. laughs> um, just because, yeah, she had to, um, she had to, you know, carry someone's weight on her, sh- her, shirt, uh, her shoulders um, trying to free her husband, um, yeah. trying to convince the lady that accused him of, uh, you know, the fake, the rape. I mean, obviously she was, but like uh, blaming it on him. You know, she had to prove that wrong at the same time. And yeah. then she had to deal with the uh, pregnancy as well. The pressure from being pregnant at a young age and then wanting to keep it out of wedlock. All that, you know, all in one one person is a and lot. Her mother-in-law not accepting exactly. her. Exactly. So, so many variables. So many mm-hmm. stuff to go through and and she was able to portray that I think and uh through her character so. Yeah. To, to you Savon, kind of like who was your overall favorite character that, that was really the stand out for you in this one? I'm caught in between um Sharon Rivers and then Alonzo, uh, you know, who's was incarcerated, but I think I'm have to give it to Sharon Rivers just that extra foundation for uh you know Kiki or the, her character, she's playing Tish Rivers, how to go all the way to another country to try to get a confession or try to get some evidence to say, look, you know, he didn't do it. And still, like, the, the amount of dedication she showed, yeah, that's one of her family members, but a lot of people gave up hope. And I love her character was that foundation and, oh, we're going to keep fighting. We're she gonna stuck keep with that. it. Exactly. So, and then, I mean, obviously, Alonzo, I think he was... The perf- Well, I think Stephen, Stephen James was the perfect guy to play that young black role trying to find himself and then hit a, a, hit a role <laughs> because of, you know, injustice. So it's a yeah. lot that goes into the characters. But I, I, I do think I like Sharon Rivers more, just to find the extra foundation that they needed because a lot of people were starting to give up. 
Yeah, definitely. And after listening to most memorable scenes, um, I had uh, the We're Gonna Have a Baby Jail scene where Tish visit, visits Fani in jail to tell him the news. Um, we were a part of each other. Tish narrated today that she realized Fani was in love with her. Um, also, the grocery store scene, you know, where a man harasses Tish in the grocery store and Officer Bell attempts to arrest Fani. Um, Fani's mother curses mm. Tish's baby where, you know, Tish tells Fani's family that she is pregnant. And then obviously like the closing scene where Tish visits Fani in jail with their, their son and you just see the realism of it still not working out, but them having to, 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 to you know, continue to carry on. Uh, but to you, like Maurice, like what were some of the, the, the scenes that kind of stood out to you or maybe just, you know, one or two? Yeah, I think I think the ending scene for sure was my favorite. Um, just to see that, you know, even though he was still in jail, there, the hope that was still on his son's face the fact that he didn't despise him as a father, you know, he was still able to be a good father to him, uh, and that's and you how you could know wonder. That, there was, there was, there was, there was kind of some, some, some guesstimation that it possibly he possibly could resent him, but he didn't. Yeah, and and at first, like the the child actor, like I was like, does he hate his dad? Because he just wasn't talking to him. Uh, but it was just like he was being nervous or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I appreciated that fact, you know, that he was still be able to be a good dad. And, you know, they both just dealt with the circumstances that they were handed, you know. And that's something that ties back to what she said earlier in the film, where it was like, uh, she said something about just, you know, ha- like uh, handling that the cards that you're dealt. And basically that ended up reflecting in the end part where they're like, all right, we're just going to take this deal so that obviously like I'm not killed in here trying to justify, um, you know, myself and prove myself innocent. Uh, I'm just going to take the deal and then that way I can be able to still see my son and, and live on. For sure. Um, to you, Savon, kind of like what were some of the memorable scenes um, to for you in this one? Ooh, man. Besides the ones you already mentioned, the love, the actual true genuine love, like the dancing in the living room, those joyful moments, just like everybody dancing in the living room and being in love and them on the streets and I think that was really dope because that was like the slice important moment. Yeah, yeah. Man, that was Pivotal a slice moment. of slice of normalcy for yeah. for them, and then you you cut to all this other stuff. But I think outside of the ones you mentioned, I think the you could tell they were in love. Like you could just yeah like how he looked at it at the restaurant, how he looked at it in the streets. Like the the, the best scene, how they found out she was pregnant when they were pregnant. Or there was just natural chemistry yeah. between the group. Yeah, it was natural. It wasn't forced at all in this movie. Not at all, and, and that's that's rare too. Because I think who said a lot um, of times you can see a force. <laughs> oh yeah, like it was. Um, who's the girl for Insecure? Issa Rae and the yeah. other guy who played a bunch of characters, but Atlanta. He, um, <sighs> what's the guy's name? The main guy, the main actor. Yeah. No, the other dude. Donald Glover. Right? No, who, the, who, who playing in Atlanta with? Um, yeah, Paperboy. Yeah, not 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 him, but the other guy, like Issa uh, Rae. That movie they had, their chemistry was so off. You could tell it on screen. The guy who played in Atlanta, who was like the conspiracy guy. Yeah, and I know who you're talking about. Part yeah. of they fall. He played the guy who shot him in the shot boy in the face. What's his name? It's gonna kill me. Yeah. I'm about to look it up, but continue, guys. Because <laughs> it's going to kill me, man. <laughs> um, but, but, but now getting in, into most memorable quotes, um, I had some of the things I've seen, I'll be dreaming about it until the day I die from Danny. Um, it was in the dark. You saw Alonzo in the light from Sharon. Yeah. Uh, it's your grandchild. What difference does it make how it gets here from Tish? And we all got it. Got got. I mean, we got all the time in the world from Fani. Then finally, but I know about suffering and I know that it ends from Sharon. Um, to, to you, like Maurice, like what were some of the quotes that, that you feel, feel, feel as though were just kind of like the most like, just thought-provoking, in a sense, for this film? Um, let's see. Hold up. Let me let me get back to you. You got to say about this. Okay, so stay <laughs> <on>. <laughs> let me yeah, think. Man. Got any <laughs> um, 
I think I like the one when Tish and Fawny was talking. She was like, you ready for this? He was like, I never been more ready for anything in my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like, that was Great really one. dope. Um, the funny one, it was like, you all right? She's like, me? I'm not the one who just got punched by a midget inside their belly. Just like those happy moments, bro. Like them happy quotes or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah. You already said that. You always say the, the good ones, well, it's it. I know. We gotta, that sounds like good. And then we <laughs> got to search for other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I got I to put in work as the customer. I got to put in work. Understandable. <laughs> oh, Lakeith Stanfield, by the way. That's gentlemen. what I said. I said Lakeith. You said Lakeith Stanfield? <laughs> yeah, I said Lakeith. Oh, my bad, bro. I hear you. You go. You I'm sorry. Maurice, do you, you got any picks? Or did I just did I take, did I sweep it? Did I sweep you it did. away? Right, so, so after some screen rant browsing, no, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> 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 no, nah, nah, okay. One of the most, this actually ties back to the memorable scenes though, is like, she's like, unbow your head, sister. Maybe you already said mm-hmm. that, maybe you didn't, but uh, uh, at that point in the that movie, movie, she was like in shame of being like pregnant, obviously around her family oh, when she had yeah, to admit yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, her sister, you know, this strong black woman is like, unbow your head. You know what I'm saying? You should be proud of this. You should, you know, be, pr- be proud to bear his child and stuff like that. So that was definitely memorable. And mm-hmm. also, um, the guy that plays Paperboy in Atlanta, when he was like, uh, some of the things I've seen, I'll be dreaming about until the day I die. And he was talking about yeah. the stuff that happens to black men in prison. Um, and then it's just the how, all the stuff yeah. he was saying, like, yeah, you like you actually don't get it because you haven't experienced yet. Um, and it just foreshadows to like what he said to his wife when she's like, you know, like obviously she was like, I'm here for you and stuff. And he was like, he got mad and like raised his voice when he was on the phone because he was like, like you don't know what they're doing to me in here. So that it just all like connected together. Yeah, definitely. Um, and now interesting to what did you like the most about the storyline, but. Uh, and in and, and, and terms of just like how this film grapples with the themes of care, you know, for for oneself and others, and also presents the important question of what is a safe space for a black person in America, which is you know really poignant and, and, and effective to me. Uh, to you, Maurice, like what element in particular about this storyline did you like the most? Um, I think I think just how it focused on the 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 black experience in this movie, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and. It really, to me, it really illustrated what it was like back then um, in a casual way. It wasn't, like, too um, overbearing or too, like, historical. Like, it wasn't boring or anything like that. It just was a casual story of, like, things that just happened back then that are, like, realistic. And it felt real. Like, this felt like a real story. That's why I asked at the beginning uh, if it was based on a true story or not. Um, But, yeah, I just, I liked how they just told the story in in a casual, like, you know, stuff just happens in life kind of way. Yeah, definitely. To you, Savon, like what what particular element of this storyline like it kind of resonated with you the most in this film? <clears throat> that it de- depicted the the life of a a black family. Like you, you see what the the hierarchy that is in a black family, the the males, how they were interacting with each other when they first got in there. Um, I think everything was realistic. How how they band, how the women had to band together and do a, a couple mm-hmm. of things. I think that was super realistic. I love the way they foreshadow, like Reese said, about one guy coming back from jail. He said, "I'll never be the same," and then he didn't. It didn't click for him until he got in there. So that's mm-hmm. the realism. A lot of people see what people are going through on an everyday basis, but can't relate because we haven't gone through it until they yeah. they they face it some kind of adversity, some type of way. And then I'm like, okay, I get it now. And I think that was the the realistic nature of this film. Because even if you don't go through these things, you've seen these things before. 
yeah. in different shapes and form. So then you, it makes you think, it makes you feel like, hey, have I been through a situation when I was racially profiled or I was lied on by somebody or somebody got pregnant at a young age or a family member didn't like my girlfriend or something like It makes you think about certain things, how yeah. the black family is. But I think that was the, it's, it's realistic. It's definitely realistic. Definitely. And, and now getting into our last topic, you know, 10 years from now, like, do you still think it'll be watched but intriguing? Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think it will as this film just has separate pieces tethered to, you know, to, to the dual running threads of, of its love story and also the tale of injustice. You know, it just correlates with a sense of realism that is placed into the narrative so well to me. And obviously, like, th- this is a harsh reality, but it's one that is going to constantly be with us and something that we constantly have to revisit um, and just see on, on a daily basis. Um, but to you, Maurice, like, like, what do you think will make this a watchful, intriguing, a dec- uh, watchful, intriguing film a decade from now? Yeah. So I think, you know, certain movies just have that endlessness to them. And I think this is one of those movies, yeah, you know, yeah, everything coupled from like the soundtrack and the cinematography and just the way the story was uh, told, the perspectives. I think, you know, it all just made it like a good movie to watch. And I, I don't mm-hmm. th- I don't think that'll change, um, you sure. know, in 10 years. I can like show that to my kids and be like, you know, this is what happened back in the day. You know what I'm saying? Not back in my day, but back in my dad's back day. You know what I'm right, saying? Yeah. <laughs> Had that preface in there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I definitely think it'll be uh, uh, intriguing to watch in like 10 years. Definitely. Uh, to you, Savon, to close it out, like what do you think will kind of make this a, a, a you know, watchful, intriguing movie a decade from now for, for even new viewers? I think, Reese, you were spot on with it, man. Um, yes, it's, it's rare uh, movie checked all boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you if you're looking at no it, misses, no misses, bro. It's the cinematography of it, bro. Like if you're a uh, an expiring a film director, student, a film, film student. student, how they <laughs> shot these things in the middle of the street, it doesn't take much to make a film incredible. Yeah. It's just how you shoot it. That's why it's I love really Malcolm Marie so much, bro. You know how yeah. hard it is to shoot in one place. That's tough. It's so really hard. tough. And that's coming from just <laughs> just film. I was in film school, too. not film school, but I took a bunch of film study classes. So that's yeah. why I nitpick a, a, a lot of with cinematography. Man. But this, why did I give that movie three stars, man? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you <laughs> gave it three stars? I thought it was I thought it was Save on that gave it three. No, that no, was so, four. I'm big on Malcolm and Lee, bro. <laughs> yeah, he was okay, big. Right, I was yeah. super big. Like I was on Snapchat. Like it's like, bro, y'all need to go watch this movie, bro. It's crazy. Uh, and you see the day in a different light too, because you are. I'm always sure. used to the, the oh, Disney. Yeah. So if I watch Euphoria, I'm gonna see it in a different, different light. Okay. Yes, for sure. Oh my god. <laughs> but no, bro. Yeah, Reese was spot on with it, bro. I think it checked this was a excellent. lot this of was boxes. Excellent. And then, yeah, man. That soundtrack, bro. That's the, oh the biggest gosh. thing for me, the soundtrack. I, I heard up, the if soundtrack. If you haven't heard the soundtrack, yeah. look it up. It's phenomenal. It's a God, That's the one to look up, Agape. I literally heard that yes. sound before I watched the movie, right? And I was like, what, what movie is this from? And right. I like, I have a YouTube playlist of like just amazing soundtracks. And I literally added it before I even watched the movie, man. Man. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that's crazy. Well, Maurice, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on it, as always. And thanks yeah. so much for being back on, bro. Of course, man. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Winter Burns. I'm my kind of Barcelona Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later. <laughs>